Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, Thursday afternoon. A uh, busy day, and let me see if I can do the um, Tfila thing now, the podcast on Tfila. As always, sponsored by Mishpacha Stavansky. Thank you all very much. <coughs> uh, I was wondering what to do about Tfila. Where are we last week? Since we're going through these parshas of the Tzitz Mitzrayim and all that, Shmos, Be'er, Bovashalach. <coughs> so my attention was drawn to Tfilin, which, of course, you're supposed to wear when you're davening. Now, I know you're supposed to wear it all day, but it, the way it worked out in Jewish history is you wear it when you're davening, and I'll pay din even, you know, you're not supposed to see Krishna and things like that. Not the tefillin on, certainly, uh, if you can help it. There's some kind of intimate connection with this tefillin, which is a weird business of these straps and boxes. <clears throat> and prayer. You know, and prayer. Why can't I say Krishna on my own without tefillin, you know? So it's not just another mitzvah <clears throat> out there in the Torah, but it's one that I would say is pretty intimately connected with the notion of davening, uh, at least for men. And, uh, which I, I mean, I, I understand that distinction, uh, and has become universal in Jewish culture as like the symbol of chakras, correct? Don't show you see tefillin. <coughs> now, um, what's interesting about tefillin is <coughs> we just had a last week's parsha. Notice now we're doing b'shalach. This is right off a of bow. And as everybody knows, Kaddish Likobachar, the whole parsha about tefillin is just before, at the end of bow, just before b'shalach. Although it's extremely obscure, as everybody knows, nowhere does it say thou shalt put on tefillin, right? Nor does it give any instructions, which is why the Karaites and the Tzedukim and all that always rejected the tefillin because they say it's made up. And I mentioned David Nieto the other day when his book, you know, the Mate, what do you call it, Mate Don, he's Kuzri Shane, he's always trying to defend the tefillin concept because there's a double yadua that when the uh, Moranos, the Spanish-Portuguese Jews, escaped, for many of them, they came to Amsterdam or Livorno or wherever, and they saw the tefillin. What the heck is that? <clears throat> That's not in the Old Testament that I read in Spanish. You know, simply to say, um, as we read, um, do you say the parsha after you put on tefillin? I mean, I do. It's in the Siddur. Uh It says, Kadosh Liko Bechor, etc., etc., etc. And, you know, it's all about Yitzis Mitzrayim. You're going to Eretz Havas Chol B'Dvash. We got it to Labincha, etc., etc., etc. You know, my voice there, so so far, Moshe, the Jewish people leaving Egypt, Moshe says, don't ever forget this occasion. Right? So uh, that's the tefillin. But it goes on to say, knows it goes on to other stuff. And in the middle of that, right, it says, you know, at the end, so there's no parsha dedicated to discussing what is supposed to be such a lofty concept of tefillin, but rather it's like a detailer to embed it in the uh, recalling of the exodus of Egypt immediately after the exodus of Egypt, because this is at the end of Parsha's bow. And I'm looking, <clears throat> therefore, for the historic tefillin. You know what I'm saying? Because that's my interest, always the history side. 
Uh, and we daven every day. And so what's the person supposed to do when, when you put on film? What's it all about? Uh, again, there's no one single strange. There's no single, you know, partial about it as there is for so many other things. So how do we understand? What do you, when you put on film, what are you supposed to think? Now, tefillin happens to be one of those <clears throat> interesting mitzvahs that you're required to know why you're doing it. You don't always have to deal with all the mitzvahs. The mice and mitzvahs is okay. After all, Jewish history is not replete with people that were super educated. Plenty of people back in the old days, you know, just did it. And that's good, too. <clears throat> but when it comes to tefillin, at least formally, you're supposed to know. This is not my idea. Just open the Shulchan tefillin. In chapter 25, you can see it says, It's a din and plain, straightforward and machaber. Yechav, excuse me, Yechav me'bahanochosam, What kavana should you have when you put on tefillin? Shetzivon ha'kadosh baruch l'anich parshas elu, that God said to do this. Sheish bohem yichud shmo, v'yitzis mitzrayim, al hazroah, can I get a leif? So it has yichud shmo, that's already very hard. I told you before. It's very hard. What does it mean, the yichud of Hashem? Because after all, we say it's echo ben yochi ki yichudu. I did the whole podcast or two on that, if you will recall, if it didn't leave you with a headache. <clears throat> and indeed, in the little formula that you have at the beginning, the paragraph before you fill in on the sitter, uh, you say it with the L'Shem Yichud, or like the Noda Behuda, you don't say L'Shem Yichud, like the Birnbaum sitter. <clears throat> but what does it say? Hindi Mekam Nochas Tefillin, etc., etc., etc. Sheishbam Yichudo V'Achdusa Yisbarach Shemabolam. That's his Yichud and his Achdus. Right off the bat, Intelligent person said, "What's the difference between yichud and achdus? Between yichud and achdus, they're both um, sound like oneness, you see. But obviously, when you're putting on these tefillin, why? I'll see in a second. But you're supposed to concentrate uh, on the yichud and the achdus. So there shouldn't be multiple deities or uh, forces, which is hard. And really, 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 as I tried to argue, I mean, I can only tell you the way I understand it, as I always say." Yichud v'yachdus means you can't imagine it. So it's beyond your imagination. Because if there's no one like this, then I don't have any frame of reference. I just don't know what it is. In other words, theologically, philosophically, I can't, no, nobody can comprehend Yichud v'yachdus. However, we know that he took the Jews out of Egypt. It's like the Kuzri, get it? That's the shtick over here. You might say that tefillin is a little bit of like a Kuzri type word, which is you're putting on these things, which have the parshas in them, which they talk about Yichud and Achdus, and even if we can't intellectually, philosophically comprehend something like the Yichud and the Achdus of God, because whatever you think of as a created idea, and God created, therefore he can't be identical with his existence, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, but then you pinch yourself and you say, yeah, but I share it to you, you know, what does it say over here? Uh, okay. Then this human flow showed Sion Mitzrayim, the story of the Exodus of Egypt, that I can comprehend. Those of you told me the Jews were slaves in Egypt, and God took them out with miracles and ten plagues and all that business, that I can chop. I may not be able to chop the Yichav the Achdus, right? But when I, so notice when I daven every morning, I, I'm thinking, hopefully, you know, who God is, and trying to relate to him, Kuzri style, through history, through what he did. Okay? And the uh, and the film seemed to be, uh, you know, uh, an integral element of that, even though it's not clear why. So I'll uh, I'll repeat again. The, the Shulchan Aruch says in Simon twenty five, right twenty five uh, uh, five. 
they're gonna leave. And the Tfilon Shalyan, Tfilon Shabrosh, of course. Kadesh and Nis Kornisim and the Flows, Shalosim Manu, Shehem Morin al Yechudo. They demonstrate God's Yechud. So, as I said before, I don't understand. A human being can't understand what it literally means Yechud. But you can see it manifested in, in, in the supernatural nature of the miracles that are famous in Egypt. Right, that's like a Muslim bar. You think about God, and you're not so into your tithes. That's the ideal, okay? That's the ideal. And they have something of a more flowery language in the sitter, as we know. All boils down. So in other words, it is supposed to be... Um, I'm not sure what the right word to use. I don't say prophylactic, but I mean prophylactic in the sense of keeping away from thinking of God in physical terms or multiple terms or things like that. Uh, if somebody says this, what I just recited, every day before you put in fill in, as mechavan to the words, no, okay, you know. Uh, and it's interesting, as I said before, that really fill in should not be tied necessarily to feel, but that's the way it's emerged in Jewish history, as we all know. You know, we're filling all day long. Uh, now, um, <clears throat> what's the context? I'll tell you where I'm coming from this. I remember seeing years ago, I thought it was in the Torah Ladas that Rabbi Bloom used to put out. I just looked inside. I mean, I could have sworn it was there. But I remember seeing years ago a vort that says something along the lines that um, when they left Egypt, let me put it this way. Moshe is leading the Jews out of Egypt and saying, Kaddish li And in the future, we get to Israel or whatever, and you'll... Pray to God in whatever fashion. Remember, there was no formal prayer, but there was Krishna. So I guess in ancient times, a guy would... I mean, in biblical times. How did it work? I'll say it again. There was no davening, but there is Krishna. So a guy would put on his tefillin. I don't think a farmer... I mean, they say farmers worked all day long with tefillin of tiny proportions, but it's so far schmutzed and everything. I, I can't imagine how that worked. You understand? I can't imagine how that worked <clears throat> if you're talking about hard labor. And around all the animals and them, they're making all over the place. I mean, I just doesn't make sense to me. Rather, it makes more sense to me. I mean, I'm a holy person, Elio Navi, maybe, but you know, the average guy makes more sense to me to say that the average guy, the farmer, whatever, he said, he says, whatever it is. And before that, he put on these uh, straps, right? Remember, there were no brachas once upon a time long ago, before Nanshagasigdola. So you, there was no bracha to say. You just put on the straps. You put on the tefillin, the shalrosh yad. You said Krishna. Uh, okay, that's a monotheism moment. You get it? It's not the Baroque Judaism of today with all these rules and regulations and extra tefillas and this and that and the other. Uh, but rather, it was a very simplistic business in which there's Krishna. And, you know, according to some, all you need is Krishna and Brooks and You don't need the rest. Others say you need you know, different opinions. If were different opinions, then there different practices once by a time long ago. So I'm trying to think what was davening, or better yet, Krishna, before Shimon Asri existed, okay? In its or form, its original form. And how does that relate to us today, or does it? Are we so lost in the multiplicity of texts and the Baroque ritualism with which we are now surrounded with a highly, uh, what's it called, ramified and uh, evolved Judaism over thousands of years. They got rules and regulations and formulas and ceremonies for everything, so, you know, 
it's surrounded on all sides by other formulas. When you get to Shul in the morning, it's not the only thing you do on the fill, and it's only one part of it. But once upon a time, it wasn't. Once upon a time, that's what you do when you did Krishna and so forth. Now, um, so that leads us to the question to what's the, the context, you know, me as if, if, if for history perspective, okay? And um, I remember seeing long ago, I thought it was in the safe room, but I didn't see it now, that yes, the, the formal tefillin came later, but the tefillin, let's put it this way, at the time of Kaddish Likabachar, when the Jewish people were actually leading, leaving Egypt, so they so they took, I think, the 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 from the dead karm pesa from the sheep, they took at least the skin or something like that, and they wrapped around their heads in a kind of triumphalism. I think I saw that. I can't remember exactly, but I it, I couldn't make this up, so I must have seen it. And um, who knows? Not only did they kill the god of Egypt and eat it, but like when they walked out, they you know wore. If if what I'm saying is correct, then they took like a piece of the of the sheep skin and tied it around the arm, and they put one and tied it around the head, and then I'm really rubbing your nose in it. This would be the philosophical meaning of, in, as I understand it, like a Maimonidean meaning of a v'chol Elohim Mitzrayim Shvatim. You get it? You know there are midrashim that say all the idols melted and things like that, but that sounds like there was something happens to them. And what is Hashem really jealous of the idols of Egypt? But if you say that he got the people, the three million or so who left, to go out, Barosh Gali, like we see in today's Parsha, you know, uh, Biyad Rama and Hamushim, and, and in the sense of being armed, and they're wearing the God of Egypt like a trophy on the, on the arm, so that would be the, before the tefillin came to the form that we have it today, they wore tefillin that way and around the head. <clears throat> so then we're seeing something epic. And that would, to my mind, have to do with what I was talking about <clears throat> lately a couple times, and that is, there's some Meshagas that the Jewish people have in their DNA that they're like hooked up to Egypt. I don't know why, but you see that over and over again in the Tanakh in many places. Uh, in the Torah and in the Vim and the Dixubim, that the <clears throat> Jews had some predilection for Egypt. So it's not, but Timaliyars or some almost sounds like Egyptian got became part of them. Ad Kedekach, 80%, they say they didn't want to leave, it, as we know. Now, that's an integral part of the story. And I was just looking around there. I couldn't find what I was, the, 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 the I thought it was a Marl Diskin, but I don't know. I looked in the Marl Diskin. I was, I was going by memory, but I was looking around and I saw a remarkable Ned Siv. Which is very interesting to think about when you're putting on film. Because Ned Siv, is, it seems to me, is being historicist. And he's sometimes thinks out of the box. You know, if you know Ned Siv, you, you never can tell. But sometimes he mumbles out of the box. The Nitziv, in his Agada and all this stuff, which I don't have in front of me, says that the Makas Adever, more than the Makas Achoshech, is what killed off the 80% that didn't want to leave. Um, one of the biggest problems God had was persuading the Jews to leave. Now, you'll tell me that shouldn't be a problem. <coughs> It's an old joke. The guy who's a rabbi is there's no yosher in the world. No, so what's your problem? The rich people got all the money. The poor people don't have the money. The poor people don't need the money. The rich people already have money. So what's your solution? The rich people should give all their money to the poor. 
<clears throat> so the rabbi, this story goes, says to the guy, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll do division of labor. I will go around to the poor and persuade them to take the money. You go to the rich and you do the rest. Okay? A famous story. So you'd think that the Jews were suffering by Yon Chabani and and then somebody says, I'll get you out of here. Very good. <clears throat> and then he brought 10 plagues and they took a left. But it's more complicated than that. Because he had to persuade the slaves to leave. They didn't want to leave. Which is weird. It's not, in other words, usually the poor people want to get the money. But here not. They don't want to get their freedom. The, the Tzib calls attention to the last Rashi in Shmos, Parsha Shmos, where after Moshe says, you messed me over, Hashem says, Pharaoh, with strong hand, Yigarshim will kick him out of the country. He'll force the Jews out. Right? So it knows the whole rigmarole, why does it have to be ten plagues, and this way and that way, was not for Paro. Paro Hashem could have blown off right away. But it was all to get the Egyptians to the point of being so, um, what's the right word, uh, neurotic over the presence of the Jews that they the, the Egyptians kicked him out. And they said, get out of here. So notice the most efficient way that Hashem had for getting Jews out of Egypt was to sick the Goyim on them. Get Egyptians all over the country, north, south, east, west, and the local Egyptians would say, you make a makas b'chorus, who knows what the 11th place is going to be, get out of here. Okay? And that way, the Jews were physically kicked out of the country. Which is not very flattering, because it sounds like even after makas b'chorus, they wouldn't have left. Even after makas b'chorus, they wouldn't have left. The Egyptians would let them go, but they wouldn't go in there themselves, unless they were mamas kicked out. <coughs> Unless their mom's kicked out. Now, on the filling thing, the Nitzv says, meaning in this where you have the mitzvah filling. So, what's the shot? So, listen to this. Take a look at this Nitzv, uh, uh, which I think is quite remarkable. Now, again, he's going over the last part in the Pusik we say when you start right, in the morning, where it says, you should always remember this should be on your arm and on your in your forehead to remember <clears throat> so you and I typically say like this we remember the great and awesome power of the almighty that he took us out of Egypt so didn't seem no you got that wrong you should remember your perverseness and that God had to force you out I'll read it to you this is the Nitziv talking not me I'll call him Mitzvah don't be astonished or wonder, as a masculine in the 19th century Russia would, what do you need one thing after another to remember the Bitochen and Muna in divine providence? Because Moshe Rabbeinu says you have this Seder, Pesach, and he got it to Labincho, and, uh, you know, uh, no Chomets, and this and that and the other. One of them is a plus that's filling, you know, like what, what's going And the Petarechem Chamor, and all, you know, for the. For 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 um, the makas bechorus, what do you need all that for? And the answer, the Nitzvah's interpretation is, you do need it. Al kain no Saint Tom, mishum shehincha roeh v'yodeya shedaver zeinimus kabel brotsel fenecha. Moses speaking to the Israelites as they're leaving Egypt says, "You know and I know, and most of you, you're the ones who are leaving Egypt now with me. 
because the others are dead. So I'm thinking you those leave with me. Many of you, most of you, don't want to go. <laughs> you don't want to go. You're going. God killed the, uh, the the ones who wouldn't go altogether, and the Egyptians themselves are chasing you out. So in other words, we have something fatal in the Jewish DNA that, you know, people have doubts, the suffix. You know, it's just who the Jews are. They could ask that question, as I said in the podcast yesterday, even after all the miracles of splitting Red Sea. That's just who we are. So it's an Egyptian part. It's an Egyptianism. Because they rather feel, instead of the transcendent God, Yehud of Achdus and all this other stuff they talk about, it's easier to deal with a God who's sitting inside the Arm Kodesh. <laughs> you know, that kind of idea. Or is, uh, you know, the Shekinah's on top of the Sefer Torah that you kiss and things like that. The Yehud of Achdus is a hard philosophical concept in which you always have to admit defeat. <laughs> because you have to strive to understand what you can about God, always realizing it doesn't work. Right, you know, even an unknowable God is a created concept. I don't, I don't want to go through all that again. <clears throat> now, the reason I mentioned before this moral discord or whatever it was was because of the following. It's interesting that although it doesn't say what los are, although the word totifos is really interesting, because who Rosh, you know, the quote of Rabbi Kiva, some of totifos is like the tot, you know, uh, which tot is the Egyptian god, right? Like King Tot, you know what I mean? Tod is a certain type of Egyptian god. There are a million different Egyptian gods. Last week, Pharaoh said, Ra Negepanechim, that's Ra, the sun god. And Tod, I forget what the other one, Ari Kappen has it in one of the, one of the footnotes, if you look. I want Tod to Echos. So it sounds like, I want you to take the Egyptian gods and kind of destroy them. I'll tell you where I'm going with all this. The tefillin has to be leather. Okay? Now, uh, leather means you kill an animal. Uh, you dry it, you step all over the skin. For, from Egyptian perspective, it's a sacrilege. You get it? So every day the Jew has to say like this, I'm physically, it's almost like a uh, someone who was molested or raped by somebody, you have to go and do a mice and egg it, you know? So it's every day we're taking, putting on the fill-in, which are made of straps of leather and this, and that, and the other, elaborately drawn, with the Torah stuff in it. In other words, inside the leather are passages of Yehud of Achduso. And what you're saying is like this, get out of your system this belief in animals and multiple deities, and instead realize that within everything is, is symbolically is, is the Yehud of Achduso. Uh, this kind of heavy idea, <clears throat> because many people, as, they, as soon as you think of God in some fashion, which everybody kind of sort of has to do, unless you wrestle philosophically, which you're supposed to be, unless you wrestle with Yehud of Achduso, so, uh, and I mean, you don't simply rely on the fact that Shehot Siyonim Mitzrayim. Uh, when you wrestle with that, then you wrestle against the gods of Egypt, and you uh, you take the dead animals' uh, skin. I mean, the Torah says it's the Lacha Moshe you not me. You know, you take a dead animal and you do all that stuff to the skin, and you do this and that and the other. It reminds you of the original Jews walking out with the with the stuff wrapped around their head and around their arms. So you need a pa'ula, connected the beliefs of the Egyptians, lacking which the Jews will slide back. Uh, it is interesting that um, when they got scared, they made a golden calf. In other words, even the idol they made was that of an animal. Uh, you know, notice that the tefillin didn't, 
didn't work yet to take that out. Today they wouldn't do it, but maybe I'm wrong. They made an idol of an animal in Tamirum ben Nevat for hundreds of years. Even when the Canaanites and the others didn't do that. It was weird to them to worship an animal. So there's something in the Jewish DNA, I don't know what. That said, that's why you say you're not supposed to go back to Egypt. You know, the halacha, you don't go back to Egypt. Because you go back to Egypt, you'll fall back you know, into that. Now, maybe Egypt doesn't mean only the land of Egypt, although that is what it means, or maybe it means more than that. I'm just uh, throwing it out at you. But I'm sharing this idea because Tefillin is an integral part of davening. Certainly, it's become an integral part of davening. Uh, we, we all recite some kind of formula, L'Shem Yuchot, or whatever we put this on one. Some of us say the Kaddish Likol afterwards, you know, we're supposed to. Uh, I think people have a general idea, you know, the basic Hanagos, you know, you, you don't wear Tefillin if you have a bad stomach and all that kind of stuff. But the original idea behind the Tefillin, which is to focus you on the Yichud Vachduso, that's pretty powerful. Because, um, you know, it's supposed to be like this. If I'm davening, first of all, I mean, I'm not talking about Dvarim Betelim, Machshava Zoros. Put that aside. That's also true. But I'm talking about if a person now is, say, I want to daven, but I'm going to focus on God in some kind of incorrect way. No, I have something on my head, in between my, you know, my forehead, uh, you know, to keep me away from that. If I'm going to uh, get emotional in a bad way about God, or lust, well, that's the arm, you know, can I get a moach, can I get a leaf? Uh, so, I'm simply saying that it's incumbent upon us uh, when we put on tefillin and wearing tefillin uh, to, and, and part of the davening as well, to every day re-evoke the uh, stories of the Egypt. You see, it's been trying. Uh, which I don't know if everybody does. Except when you get to davening, it's Ezra, Sabatino, Tomiolum, you know. But it's supposed to be there the minute you say, you're only evoking the story of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. Uh, so, don't think that other gods took you out of Egypt? I don't know. Because after all, that's what they said about the other golden calf. Don't think it was other forces that did this, but Yechud uh, do so. It seems to me that that's an interesting um, perspective that I bet you many people, I mean, I don't know people out there, of course, many people don't do when they're putting on tefillin, particularly when you say Hashem Elkin Hashem Echad, which is the peak moment of the monotheism and the prayers. So, uh, you know, they say you shouldn't do without the tefillin. Sounds like, because if, if absent the symbolism of the tefillin, um, then you'll slip into who knows what. Hashem Elkin Hashem Echad, who knows what you'll come up with. Anyway, I just wanted to uh, uh, share that. And once again, I want to thank Mishpacha Stefanski, as always. And with that, I wish you all a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.